Welcome to Government CIO's The Agile Advocate Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Drew. Whether it's IT modernization centers of excellence, the innovative team of 18F, or simply pushing the technology envelope to deliver better value faster to the end user, the General Services Administration, or GSA, is seen as a thought leader within federal IT. We'll get a chance today to talk with Beth Kaloran, a member of the GSA IT leadership team, and get her vision on federal IT, Agile, and DevOps. Welcome to the Government CIO Agile Advocate Podcast. I'm here with Beth Kaloran, Deputy Chief Information Officer for the General Services Administration. As always, I like to have my guests give a brief background and talk about how they got to where they are today. First of all, I was never supposed to be in IT. Isn't that the story of most IT people? Though what's interesting with mine is when I was in high school, that's when they really started teaching technology. And both of my parents said, oh, this you're a natural at this. This is what you need to do for a living. And I fought both of them saying, no, it was too easy. I didn't want to do it because it was really too easy for me. When I went into college, I wanted to do something that was more challenging. And uh, so that's why I did industrial and personnel psychology, which <laughs> actually has worked out very well. Because as we're doing cultural changes and things with technology, it really understand the people, the culture, as you're trying to make the change, because it tends to be that's the more difficult part with technology, making that shift and making people comfortable with it. So it's actually been a, a really good merger of those things. And then when I got out of college, I expected to do industrial and personal psychology kinds of things. I actually got hired on to the, the Navy to do some ergonomics uh, but that was when the government was downsizing in the 90s. And so they're like, yeah, well, we're not really having any money to do that anymore. So could you teach IT stuff? And so that's kind of how the journey began for me for technology. And I actually started in the Customs and Border Protection in the mid-90s. Soon after I started, I actually went to Oklahoma and Houston is where I actually got my first federal job. And soon after I got there, they actually had the Oklahoma City bombing. Welcome to Oklahoma City. Yeah, welcome to Oklahoma City. So that really helped to formulate for me the need not for just the people, but what it means to people. That always has resonated with me. And then a couple of years after that, we actually had 9-11 while I was also at Customs and Border Protection. So it was kind of an interesting time because I was doing land administration for the entire country at that point, including New York and every other place in the country, all 1,100 sites. So between those two events, it really resonated with me of what we're here for the people and what we're here for the taxpayers as federal employees. And I've really taken that through the career. And as I've progressed in the government doing different kinds of big programs at the Department of Health and Human Services and at Homeland Security. It's really about what the technology is helping with the mission and how that helps our citizens versus building tech for tech's sake, which has really been very valuable for me. What I've also learned through technology, and I think the blending of the two is the path is going to twist and turn, but each opportunity, you need to take it for what it is, learn from it, grow from it, and get ready for the next challenge. Yeah, I saw that. Your educational background, industrial and organizational psychology. Yeah. So, you know, I will say that a lot of my very best hires have been people who are philosophy majors and history majors. And I always get that second look like, you know, we need somebody who knows it. But they are people who know how to think. They have different perspective. And I can bring you up to speed on what you need to know. So it's def definitely given you a different perspective, especially as we move forward a lot of these challenges are culture. It is. I mean, and that's why I said, so it's really helped me. And it was interesting when I was getting out of college, my dream job was OPM. 
I really wanted to go work at OPM, but they had hiring freezes at the time. I have found that technology, you can implement technology pretty easily as long as you have the money to do so. But what you need is to be able to understand the culture that you're going to move that technology into. How do you make sure that the leadership your 360 of stakeholders, the leadership, the employees that are using it, the external, internal people that may are going to be infected by it. How are you going to do that whole organizational change management piece? And especially in government, it sometimes takes longer than you know people expect. I always tell people, if it's going to take you about 12 months on the external side in the private sector, try about two to three times that in the government. Wow. Right? Because you have to not only understand what it's going to take to get the money, but you also have to understand the statutory changes you may have to make. And you got to have that business value and get those stakeholders engagements before you can really make that shift with the technology. Because if not, you end up building technology and nobody uses it. And then you have a very large technology failure on your hand. A nice shiny rock. Correct. So organizational and culture, definitely the biggest things. So when you talk about, you know, calms is a DevOps framework, right? Everybody goes, ah, oh, culture. And then they go, okay, automation. Let's start doing automation. What do you think are some of the biggest hurdles when it comes to culture, organization, and this reallocating or reshifting of resources? So if you look at, you know, how we're doing agile development, it really becomes, you know, having the right people in the process throughout the process. Anytime that you're making a change, nobody wants to be the last to know, and they don't want to feel like something's being done to them. So you need to make sure that you've got the right people from the very beginning and keeping them involved all the way through, whether that's the business to say what their need is, validate what their need is, testing that what you're building meets their need, to the infrastructure people where whatever you're building has to ride on that platform, the security folks that have to validate that and make sure that it's authorized to run on your system. And that's why I think both Agile and DevSecOps has really been able to have a lot of success in the government because you really have the right people all the way through the process and nobody's waiting till the last minute and then you have these gotcha moments of, well, you didn't think about this or I don't feel that you have really understood my needs or you didn't follow our process. You can actually work all those things through. So you need to make sure you've got your executive leadership, you have your business folks, you have your technical folks, you have your acquisition people all the way through the process. And that helps you, first of all, to try small, test small, and then build on success. And that way, if you fail, you haven't had a huge investment and you didn't wait four years to do it. And you can also make sure that you're adjusting as either the mission need changes or the business need changes, or you find things that maybe technologically you thought was mature enough but isn't, and make those pivots very quickly. And you have all the right people there to make those decisions at the right time with the least amount of risk. Hmm. So I've, from a colleague of mine, who, by the way, you went to uh, CIO school with, had an interesting podcast series he did with him. He's defined... DevOps is not a technology, but really we're finally getting the resources allocated away from silos for a, a number of reasons, vendors, history, whatever. And we're starting to put those into actually product-focused teams, mm -hmm. delivering services to the end users, mm -hmm. who are really the ones we should be thinking about, right? So do you think DevOps, I've gone through dozens of silver bullets in, in our industry, right? Is DevOps and Agile... Are they really different? 
I think they're different because, like I said, I mean, so GSA has really embraced DevOps and so the DevSecOps concept. So both of our main businesses and now our enterprise services, so within public building service and our federal acquisition services, they really have restructured their organizations to be those product lines. And so by having all of the people within one organization that is responsible for a particular product, they all are bought in up front. First of all, you eliminate all these handoffs, and that in itself causes a lot of problems like, you know, did the baton handoff correctly? And you also make sure it's kind of that whole, it takes a village. And so in order to do technology right, you have to make sure you've got that entire group of people in there. And once you have each of the individuals understanding their role and functioning well, then you can add additional technology, whether you're, you know, moving code and checking it in faster, whether you're having automated tools to do the testing. You actually have the people that understand that and have faith in those tools that they can actually be there to automate some of that process so that they can actually get to that higher value work where they really can think through those processes and really make the difference with their particular mission because they're bought into it and they know what it means to them and to their business. And I think the other part of it, too, is that we also have to make sure they understand what the product line is, right? And so if you're just building something but you never actually have hands-on, you're kind of building something and how would you know that it works? Or you're, how, guessing. Which, you're guessing, right? So you need to have that part in there, which is you're not just building it and handing it off to a user. What exactly is that customer experience? How are you actually using it as the people that are in that village? And I think both the DevSecOps really gets us to that point. The Agile is a good mechanism for following how to improve and streamline and make it more efficient. So we're going to the cloud, the world, federal IT, we're moving to the cloud. Right, and we're modernizing. So there's a ton of legacy apps. You have to have continuity of operation. That's gotta go. That's gotta be modernized. And then you have all the new kids on the block. And these users are asking for more, faster, better. They change their mind all the time. How do we take care of those things that have gotten us where we're at and still get the new stuff? So. GSA was really an early adopter of cloud, which is great, but they, of course, took the, you know, what are the easiest things for us to do, which were already things that were cloud-ready. In some cases, they were the, the newer capabilities. We're now kind of in that next straunch or the last uh, set of that, which is how are these really legacy applications that you're going to have to do some modernization of? You don't want to just lift and shift because, first of all, you're not going to get the right customer experience. You're not going to get efficiencies, and you're really not going to improve the security. So the best thing to do is to, and I think our public building services is, has a really good model of this, is they've done that first staunch and showed the value of why you'd want to go to the cloud and why you'd want to use some of these new technologies. And now that they've proven that concept with those first kind of early adopters, now they've done a roadmap of every one of their applications. But they didn't just say, we're going to just lift and shift. We need to take one application at a time understand what new technology we're going to apply to it, what kind of new interfaces, kind of APIs or things that we can use, and start building that ecosystem of microservices and different capabilities so that you're building certain applications or elements of it once, moving it to the cloud, and then what you can reuse. So not only are you improving the interaction and the inter engagement of the systems and kind of building that system of systems, but you're also being able to become more efficient and go faster as you go because there are only certain elements you're going to have to build and not have to build the entire thing. The other part of it, too, is a lot of folks say it's going to be instantaneously safe money with cloud. 
I think that this administration has realized that that's why it's cloud smart and not just going to the cloud because it doesn't always actually relate to cost savings, right? And so you have to make that decision. For many organizations, just going to infrastructure as a service is all you're doing is rehosting, no cost savings. But as you start moving up that stack of platform as a service and software as a service, that's when you finally start seeing some of those efficiencies. But until you've kind of proven some of these capabilities out and understand, you know, what the impact is, everybody's going, oh, it's going to be slower because it's not on-prem or it's not going to be as more secure on-prem. So you have to kind of remove the myth and prove it with fact, then you can move up that stack and you can actually accelerate your adoption because you've got some lessons learned behind you. So what do you see as the key benefits of going to the cloud for GSA? Any organizations, even ours, so we don't even have any data centers, which is great. We are even using other organizations' data centers. But when we still have, you know, a lot of our costs are still related to hosting our current applications in these other federal data centers. And we have to have not only the cost of hosting those, but the cost of the network associated with them, the maintenance and upgrade of it. And so there's still a total cost of the care and feeding of all of these applications and the infrastructure associated with it. And when we have big needs, so for example, a new initiative is going to pop up. So we have been very fortunate to name, for example, the HR transactions new shared service provider, and we'll be working on doing that. But that means that we're going to have to have new capabilities and things as we define what that's going to be and build them. And it would take us so long to buy all that infrastructure and stand it up. Cloud allows you to move faster. And as you're thinking about new capabilities, you need to be able to expand and contract on a on-demand basis. The other part of government and cloud, too, is, is if you think about the government on an on-demand cycle, we're coming into our busy season, right? So from a processing perspective, especially at GSA, where we're doing a lot of acquisitions for other agencies at the end of the year, the capacity we need in, in August, September timeframe is very different than it's gonna be in a January timeframe. But right now we have to pay for that capacity no matter what, because we're, we're hosting it. So we have to have the, the highest volume so that it's there when we need it. When we go to cloud, we can burst and contract. So we end up saving money, but when we need it, they can put it in place because they have, you know, these providers have that as one of their capabilities. And then we can contract and start saving money when we don't need it. So those are just a couple of the examples of why you'd want to go. So automation, that's always a favorite topic of mine because there's not a lot of good bells and whistles there, right? It gives you those predictable, repeatable processes that you can rely on, right? Such as CI and CD. Talk to me about your vision of development, delivery, and quality and velocity? So we are always looking to find more efficiency. So I am very fortunate to be in a forward-leaning organization from our administrator to our deputy administrator to our CIO. Each one of them is looking at ways to become more efficient and effective in how we are delivering our business and understanding we are a customer-focused organization that we have to be able to increase that velocity. And so we actually, within the CIO shop, have a CTO organization, and obviously GSA has the TTS organization, both of which are always looking at new technology and how forward-leaning we can be. And so as we start thinking about, and we've already started, uh, and we have about a half a dozen, for example, artificial intelligence machine learning pilots going to be able to increase our velocity. Our CFO is really leading the charge on RPA processing and found numerous areas to find efficiencies and be able to drive some efficiencies, not only in 
how they're doing some of their business processes, but save labor hours that they can then shift. So I think that if we have the right core technology with our cloud, we apply DevOps so that we can actually accelerate and make sure that we're getting that six month or less delivery. And then that allows us to move to these new technologies faster and be able to do that efficiencies and get to what our customers need. And across the federal government, especially at GSA, our customers are demanding that newer technology at a faster pace. They are not going to wait two or three years anymore. They don't do that anymore. No, they don't. (sighs) They want it to be, you know, I want it yesterday. I want it, you know, at least in a couple months from now. And so we have a lot of pilots and a lot of prototypes that we start. So we start small, we invest small, prove it out, apply these capabilities as we can. You know, we always try to build last. Putting into the cloud is our first choice. Using open source capabilities is our second choice. Building it ourselves is the third choice if there really isn't another capability. And how are we continuing to look at our applications to reduce the duplication? And one of the things that's helping us there is is TBM. And so we really understand the cost of our applications. We understand the cost to our customers and what applications are actually having a cost differential that is beneficial to the agency, which ones aren't. And that helps us to prioritize potentially where we should modernize some of those systems, both from a costing perspective. And then we understand from our authorities to operate which ones we may need to look at from a cyber perspective. And that helps to determine where we need to invest. Good segue. Security is, I mean, I got to tell you. They used to always drive me crazy as a developer, but they've got a tough job. I mean, it's critical. But frankly, you're talking about higher velocities, and you're making it more and more challenging for security. So what's your thoughts on security, especially in this time of, I want it sooner, I want it different, I'm constantly changing this thing. I don't do the 18-month deployment, sits there, and I'm absolutely secure. So how do we make these things so, Good, fast, uh, that's a and great secure. Question. So actually, GSA has really been forward-leaning in the cyberspace, and we're actually now partnering with other parts of DHS and GSA with the FedRAMP side, DHS and NIST around the standards. So our CISO has been really forward-leaning and looking at all of the controls and looking at ones that are truly necessary based on the risk that we have and the elevation of the system. So they really actually had a kind of an ATO light that had certain set of those controls that are musts. And then as we start moving up of, you know, it's a needs to have a moderate or a high level of security, then we start adding the totality of the controls. But saying you need to have every single control for every single system, you know, that just adds a lot of burden and time, but it's really not mitigating the risk. So one of the things we've really tried to shift from is from a compliance perspective to a risk perspective and looking at each one of our systems and what is the risk to the agency to the citizens and to our business if there's particular impacts. And so that has actually been a very positive experience for us. We have then actually have implemented artificial intelligence. So it's really looking at our logs and finding those threats for us so that we can then have our key analysis and forensics people looking at those anomalies of the capabilities that we're finding versus having to look at every single log all of the time. That allows us to move our dollars and our personnel to that kind of beginning phase of cyber, which is, you know, how are you planning for risks and how are you making sure that you're preventing them versus responding and recovering, which is traditionally in the government where we tend to apply our resources, we wait for something bad to happen, then we go in and fix it. But if we can be that proactive, which is what GSA has really done, it helps us to have a smaller staff 
and be able to apply that technology up front to keep the bad things from getting to us and understanding when our risks and our threats are shifting so that we can make the difference that we can with our tools. And that's what we've really done. And we've also been a very proud sponsor, not just from the FedRAMP program itself, but at an agency level of having a number of FedRAMPs that we have done within GSAIT that other than agencies are using and how to make sure that people in other agencies trust when you're doing a FedRAMP that it has done all the due diligence around it so that you can reuse it versus having to redo it yourself, which also adds a lot of time and burden. So in artificial intelligence... It's like you are paid to segue to each one of these questions, <laughs> Beth. So I think I know the answer to this one, but one last question here, okay? Where do you see the next major innovation in IT in the federal space? I think it's a combination of artificial intelligence, right? But I also think it's somewhat of robotics, right? So I'll give you a couple of examples. We actually tested one capability at GSA with artificial intelligence. So we're very driven to make sure that we are providing our acquisition opportunities to all companies. And we had, from a 508 perspective, they had people looking at the individual documents that were posted and had about a 5% ability to check those documents to see if they actually were 508 compliant. We had the people that were doing that process work with artificial intelligence. And my understanding, it took about three weeks to really teach the capability on what it needed to do. And they went from a, about a 5% check to over 95%. Wow to validate that what was being posted was 508 compliant by just teaching the capability of what it needed to do and what it needed to look at. So I think that that will be a game changer because we'll be able to find routine things. And every time I ask folks, I always say, you know, are there things in your job that you would like to not do? Right. Whether that's doing a status report or, you know, having to reconcile between three screens, different kind of a capability. I think that that, you know, from an RPA and artificial intelligence is, is really going to increase our efficiency. And considering that the federal government has, you know, half of our workforce almost can retire within the next five years, trying to find efficiencies that you can use technology so that we can maintain operations is going to be critical. But we also have other types of technology. So for example, GSA is the largest, we actually have the largest set of real estate in the world. And because of that, you know, think about the smart buildings. The GSA central office automatically adjusts the temperature, it adjusts the blinds, it does all sorts of capabilities just to make sure that we're not spending as much energy as we should, to make sure that it turns on the lights depending on where folks are. I think the next kind of capability between that of smart buildings for us, and even things such as autonomous vehicles. We also have the largest fleet in the world. So we're expecting that people will have driverless cars taking them to meetings soon. So we have to not just think about traditional artificial intelligence, but are we going to be using robotics to do things such as janitorial services? Who knows? Are we going to be using autonomous cars in our fleet? Probably. You know, would there be some type of delivery service we need drones for? Possibly. So we have to think not just the traditional artificial intelligence, which is going to help us to automate, you know, manual processing or help to be able to do some of the mission capabilities we're thinking through a traditional application. But what are these kind of external machines and mechanics that we would also be using that we will need to make sure because they will be technology. How do we incorporate in those into our systems? How do we make sure that they're secure? And how do we make sure that we're preparing our workforce to work side by side with that? Well, you know, I was told that you were going to be a great guest and you did not disappoint. Thank you very much, Beth, for coming down. 
I appreciate your time. It's a great insight and perspective on GSA and government IT and certainly in DevOps and Agile. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. The Agile Advocate is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentcio.com slash podcasts. The Agile Advocate is produced by Amy Kluber. It is hosted by Bill Drew. Edited by Resonate Recordings. Theme music provided by Big Hoax. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact Joe O'Neill at J-O-N-E-I-L-L at governmentcio.com.